Does Jesus know right now when he's coming back? He knows. He's God. He knows everything. When he went back to heaven, he became all-knowing again, right? The Father glorified him with the glory he had with before the foundations of the world. That's what he prayed in John 16 and 17. So he knows, and we know this because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, he says that when he went to heaven, the Father gave him the revelation about his return, and he gave it to an angel, and that angel came and he talked to John, and he revealed it to John for the purpose that he could tell us what was going to come to pass. And the whole book of Revelation is him explaining what the Father showed Jesus so that we would know when it happened. Remember when Jesus was crucified, the Last Supper, he tells his disciples, realize that I've told you these things before they've occurred, so when they happen, you will not be afraid. Remember that? Were they afraid when they happened? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't listen, did they? <laughs> you have an entire book, 21 chapters, telling you what's going to happen at the end of the age. And they should be signposts. It is very, very easy to understand. I know no one in this room believes that. <laughs> but Revelation is very, very easy to understand if you take it the way it was written. So, Scripture is time sensitive. When Jesus was on this earth, he came as a man. He had to learn by revelation that he was the son of God. He didn't come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. He said, gaga goo He wet diapers. He threw up on his mama. He did all the things that we do. But one day, God the Father revealed to him by the Spirit that he was the son of God. And it took... Oh, <laughs> he grew in favor with the Lord and with man. <laughs> he came just like us. He couldn't be graded on a curve in any way. The only curve he had was that he was born without sin because he was born of the Holy Spirit. He did not come from that line of Adam. He was the last Adam. He was the first of the new creation. Okay. So when he was on this earth, he had to believe by faith that he was the Son of God. He had to open the Word of God, and as it was being read, he had to believe by faith that it was talking about him because the Spirit of God was revealing that to him. And then as he believed it and walked in more and more of that revelation, he started experiencing God the Father. And eventually he started hearing God the Father. And God the Father spoke out of heaven to other people about him all of a sudden. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus had to live by faith the same way we have to live by faith. And he came to live as an example to us of the same way we're to live. Same way. So let me ask you this. Was Jesus born God? No. Yeah, he was. He was God-man. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. Right? Was Jesus baptized by John in the water? Yes. What kind of baptism was it? Water. It was water, but what was the purpose? Nope. Not at all. You got a chart. <laughs> you got a cheat sheet. No, there was no death, burial, resurrection yet. John came and he told the scribes and Pharisees what? He said, I'm not he, but I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. If John the Baptist didn't do his ministry, there wouldn't have been hearts ready to receive the Lord. How long was the Lord's ministry? 30 years. Nope. Three, 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 three and a half years. 
Anyone know why three and a half years? This is totally off subject, but anyone? Because <laughs> time's time and half a time. Because Daniel said the 70th week. And when did that week end? When he was crucified, Jesus ministered for three and a half years. How much is left of that last week of the Jewish history? Three and a half years. Which is what we call what? The tribulation. Tribulation is three and a half years. It's not seven years. And I'll happily duke with anyone who wants to discuss it. <laughs> tribulation is three and a half years. There's only that period of time left for the Jewish people when he resumes. So Jesus ministered for three and a half years. So how long did John the Baptist minister? I don't know. He lived his entire life in the desert in the most strictest of sects, the Essenes. They believed having a bowel movement on the Sabbath was work, and it was breaking God's law, so they couldn't do it. Seriously. You want to live with someone legalistic? Live with John. It says he ate locusts and honey so that he would know to always do right by the Lord. And how long was his ministry? He lived his whole life for one span of time, and anyone remember how long it was? Six months. His entire life, everything he did, everything he lived, was for six months. That's it. And then he was beheaded. Imagine living your whole life for six months. But without that six months, Jesus couldn't have done what he did. When Jesus showed up, there was already a group of people ready to receive him. Because John had prepared their hearts to receive him. Okay? So we know from Peter in the book of Acts, he says that verily John, actually this is from Paul, this is Ephesians, or, uh, Acts chapter 19 when he's ministering to the Ephesians. And he says, he found some believers and he said, have you been, have you received the Holy Ghost? He doesn't even say the word baptism. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So we know they believed. And he's saying, did you receive the Holy Ghost? And does anyone remember what they said? We don't even know if there be such. A thing as the Holy Ghost. So these were believers who believed under John, found out about Jesus, but left after the crucifixion in fear for what was going to happen. Remember, the other disciples did the same thing. Except they stayed in the upper room, and they left before the day of Pentecost. How many people were invited to the day of Pentecost? 500. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus was seen by 500 and he told them, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued on high. How many actually stayed? 120. 120, right. So this is part of that 500 that Jesus ministered to, but they didn't know anything else. They left before Pentecost. And so he says, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, no. He says, well then, since you believed, what have you been baptized to? And they say, the baptism of John. And so he says, verily, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. There was nothing better to give God's people at the time. And so he said that the one who sent him told him that he should go out and baptize with water to prepare the hearts of the people so that when the Lord showed up, they would be ready to receive him. And he said, I didn't know who he would be. Remember this? He said, I didn't know who he would be, but the one who sent me told me that the one to whom you baptize with water and you see the Holy Spirit descend upon and remain, that was the key, and the Holy Spirit remained upon him. That one is the Christ. 
Anyone know why he said that? Because before that, the Holy Spirit never remained. He came and he left. What happened to Samson? He would rise up, he would shake himself, and he would be mighty in the Lord, and he could rip doors off of cities, he could kill thousands of people with the jawbone of an ass. But when he foregoed his vow to the Lord, when his commitment, when his consecration to the Lord of not cutting his hair, not drinking of the vine, not doing those things, when he yielded that to someone who wasn't godly and he surrendered his consecration to someone, she cut his hair. Whether he did it or she did it, it didn't matter because he cut that hair the moment he told her. He was supposed to keep it a secret. He didn't. And he lost the ability to do what God had anointed him to do, right? But there's one favorite verse I have in that whole story. Do you want to know what it is? They burned his eyes out. They put him as a prisoner. But his hair began to grow again. His consecration came back. His heart turned back to the Lord. I just love that. So every priest, every prophet, every king, the Spirit of God would come upon him, and it would leave. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, and he would leave. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and it said Saul became a different man. And all of a sudden, he was as a prophet, and he prophesied, and he worshipped before the Lord. And all the prophets of the Lord said, Is Saul a prophet? Because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. But when he departed from the Lord, what happened? The Spirit of the Lord left him, and a tormenting spirit came. And where did that spirit go that left him? To David. Okay, so he didn't get the awe of him until after he had baptized him. Hold on. We're getting there. All these Old Testament people, they all experienced the Holy Spirit, right? He, he always anointed them, but he always left. And Anyone remember what David's prayer was in Psalms 51 after the death of his child? God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why would he pray that? Where did that baby come from? It was adultery with Bathsheba. He committed a sin, and for a year he was in sin and refused to repent. And his prayer was, God, don't do to me what you did to Saul. That's what he was saying. That's not a New Testament prayer. You should never need to pray that because God won't ever do it to you. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He said, those, the one that you see the Spirit come upon and remain, he is the Christ. So what's the significance of that? What's, what's Christ mean? The anointed one. The anointed one. The one that you see the Spirit come upon and anoint, and the anointing does not leave. He is the anointed one with the anointed word. And anyone remember what Peter said to Cornelius' house in Acts 10.38? He said, this is the word that you heard preached throughout all Judea and Galilee, began in Jerusalem, was preached by Jesus himself, and it was preached by his followers. How God, how Jesus Christ of Nazareth had been anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good, healing all those who are oppressed by the devil because God was with him. The message that Jesus preached before his crucifixion, before his resurrection, was believe on me, I am the Christ, I'm the one that God has anointed, 
and refuses to take his spirit from, and I am your real jubilee. And he preached the first message in Luke chapter 4 when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me. What was the gospel in the New Testament? How God had anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the Holy Ghost with power. What are you called? Christians. They first were called Christians at Antioch. And what's the word little what's the word Christian mean? Little Christ, little little anointed ones. It was a derogatory term. It wasn't a good thing. <laughs> they didn't go around saying, "That's right, I'm a Christian." They were like, "Don't call me that." <laughs> they were being derogatory towards them. They were mocking them, but they were calling them little anointed ones. Yeah, they were all acting like that Christ that they believe in. Yep. So we say all that to say this. <laughs> there was a baptism of John and its purpose and its time limit was to prepare a heart of a people to receive Jesus Christ. That baptism ended when Jesus came on the scene. Remember Jesus showed up and John realizes instantly, even before he sees the Spirit come upon him, he says, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize, baptize me. me. Yeah. And what did Jesus say? Now, hold on. Now, why would John say that? Because he knows he's the anointing one. But how does he know? Because he hasn't baptized them yet. What had John been saying? What had John been preaching? Every gospel says it. What does it say? I baptize you with water, but there's one among you to whom you do not know, whose shoe latchet I'm not even worthy to undo. And when he comes... He won't baptize with water. He'll baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. So he was looking to a day that the Messiah would show up and would baptize him in the same way he was submerging people in water. The Messiah would come and submerge him in the power of the Holy Ghost and in fire so that he could go about and do the will of the Father. John's baptism was for a time, for a purpose, for a season, and it ended the moment Jesus got baptized. Because what did Jesus tell him when John said, I need to be baptized by you? What did he say? We have to fulfill all righteousness, John, and I have to be baptized by you. Because God the Father had sent John to baptize in the Father's name. And Jesus said, don't you know I have to be about my Father's business? If the Father commanded it, he had to do it. And when he did it, the Spirit of God came upon him and stayed upon him. It wasn't the water that did it. He was out of the water. He'd come up out of the water at the time. It was the fact that he obeyed God. And that's a whole other topic for another time. But he had obeyed all that God the Father had told him to do. And the Spirit of God came upon him and remained. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now John chapter 4 tells you in verse 1 and verse 2, it says that Jesus' disciples and Jesus were baptizing people all over the place as they went. So John's baptizing people still. But then they say, don't you know this guy over here is baptizing people too? And what's John say? I have to decrease and he has to increase. 
And where did Jesus' first disciples come from? Anyone remember who they were? Fishermen. Uh-huh. Who were they? Which of the twelve? Uh, Peter. And? Paul. No. Peter and Andrew, Peter's brother. And Andrew was actually one of the first. Peter says, can anything come out of Galilee? Can anything come good out of Nazareth? Right? And he says to him, we have found the Messiah. Come listen. They started out as disciples of John. And when he passed by him, he said, this is the Lamb of God who dies for the sake of the world. And they left John, and they followed Jesus. And it says that Jesus and his disciples went out, and they were baptizing people. And then there's a small little phrase in there, in parentheses, it says, however, Jesus didn't baptize anyone, only his disciples. Why would that be significant? Because whoever Jesus uh, baptized, the Holy Spirit would stay with them. Because John said he would not baptize with water, but only with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So then Jesus is crucified, he's raised from the dead, and he shows up and gives the Great Commission, right? And he commands the disciples to do what? What's the Great Commission? Go teach people, make disciples, go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Water baptism, and we find that this is a symbolic thing of what? We're dying with Christ, we're buried with Christ, and we're resurrected with Christ, right? Right. Why do we do water baptism? Because we get hurt if we do it in fires. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, that's a good answer, actually. <laughs> So why would we... But if you didn't get hurt, that would be super miraculous. Yeah. <laughs> hey, three Hebrew children did yeah. it, so I... That's going straight to the face. <laughs> I didn't even smell like smoke. I didn't even smell like smoke. Why would we get water baptized? Public profession of faith. And you're publicly confessing what? We just said it. You died with Christ, you were crucified with him, you were buried with him, and you were raised with him, right? Mm -hmm. In between that time, something happened. Actually, it happened at the moment of salvation. You had nothing to do with it other than you put faith in the Savior. The moment that you believe, the very moment, what happens? You Do what? If you automatically uh, spirit died and uh, you're in Christ... So you're automatically with God. That yeah, you have to show. yeah, the old, yeah. The old, you're getting there. The old you dies, and the new is born. Okay. Okay. Ish. <laughs> the moment you put faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again, and you're born of what? Of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. And God is a. Spirit, and that is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John chapter 3. Jesus talked with Nicodemus, right? And so the moment you get saved, you've actually gotten born again. That's where I really have a problem with this whole losing thing, because we're not talking about a status. We're talking about a literal birth, and we don't take a baby and shove it back up there when we decide we don't want it. <laughs> Neither does God. <laughs> okay? So you've, you've got a new birth, right? But that new birth happened 
by what? Faith and grace and you become a new creation when you get born again, right? How was the very first new creation born? Mary, that holy thing that is within you shall be born of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and shall conceive a son within you, right? How were you born again? The Holy Spirit has been with you, but he shall be in you. The Spirit of God moves inside of you, and in that moment, he does a recreative work. He doesn't repair the old man. He gets rid of him. He crucifies him. He's dead, gone, buried, and replaces him with Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit of Christ. Okay? The Spirit of Christ is in you at that moment. So now we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that those who are joined unto the Lord, they're what? One Spirit. spirit. So if you looked at my Spirit, would you see me or would you see Jesus? Yes. And yes. You would see both. And you wouldn't be able to see where one began and one ended. Because those who are joined unto the Lord are one Spirit. How do you know what is Father, what is Son, what is Holy Ghost? You don't, because you serve one God. We know there are certain things that the Son does that none of the others do. We know that there are certain things that the Spirit does that none of the others do. We know the functions, but if you were to see God at that moment, He's one God, revealed in three different persons. In the same way that Ledema is Ledema, there's no other Ledemas, and I don't think the world could handle more than one Ledema. But there is Ledema's spirit, there is Ledema's soul, there is Ledema's body. Let us create man in our image, right? So we say all that to say this. There is one baptism, and there is one faith, and there is one God. And that's all talking about salvation. And there's a lot of things we can argue about. Salvation is not one of them. It is a foundation of what we believe. And you can say what you want to say, and you can do it anywhere you want, but in this pulpit, it better be that Jesus Christ is Lord, and salvation is only by faith through grace, by making him the Lord of your life. Because there is no other name given under heaven whereby men might be saved. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the gospel. There is no other. Okay? So because of that, in Ephesians 4, in context, he's clearly talking about one specific baptism, just like John was talking about one specific baptism, just like Jesus was talking about a specific baptism. You have to look at context. We're talking about dividing the word properly. Okay. So in this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, going back to your original question, Lydia. (laughs) See, we eventually get back. It just takes a long way to get there. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews and Gentiles, or we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What is he talking about? Becoming part of the body of Christ. When do you become a part of the body of Christ? At the moment of salvation. 
Because Christ is in you, and you are in him. You were baptized, baptismo, you were submerged into Christ at the moment of salvation. There are denominations, such as the Church of Christ, that believes you are not part of the body of Christ, nor can you be saved unless you have been water baptized. They absolutely believe that because of verses like this. They believe it is water baptized. Also, because we're going over to Romans 7 anyway, you knew we'd end up there, right? Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So, does water baptism cause me to become crucified in Christ? Or was I already, and this is my public confession of faith? Exactly. So, there is a baptism of repentance that John preached. It is over the moment Jesus is baptized. It is done. Although he continues to prepare the heart of the people for those who don't see Jesus yet, because remember, Jesus is physical. He's in one spot at one time. Slowly, John's ministry decreases as Jesus' ministry increases, right? So Jesus' disciples start baptizing, and they're baptizing a water baptism, not in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, not in the name of the Son, but as a preparatory thing for the hearts of the people to receive him as Christ, right? It's a symbol of following Jesus. Baptism is also in the Old Testament. The priest had to be baptized in a large golden bowl. We called it the laver. And that's how they cleansed themselves. And it symbolized the washing of the water of the Word of God. So when you spend time in the Word of God, you are fulfilling a New Testament reality of an Old Testament shadow where priests would literally bathe in this gigantic golden laver. You're actually washing your soul in the Word of God. You're being cleansed by the Word of God all of the corruption of the earth from your mind. Whole another topic for another time. <laughs> so John's baptism, Jesus' pre-crucifixion baptism, Jesus dies, resurrects, great commission. He says, now, go make disciples, and part of what I want you to teach them is to be my followers, which means they're going to get baptized in my name. And I'm telling you, it's more than just symbolism, because any Satanist will tell you there is a change in a person. When they make that commitment. I've heard many, many stories of people who followed other religions, whatnot, had demonic activity in their lives, and they want to know when did they get saved? Did they get water baptized too? Because it shows a heart of submission. It's not just the moment of salvation, it's the fact that they submitted themselves to God. Billy Graham himself said there were a lot of people that came to his meetings that he doubted their salvation. And it was because anyone can pray a prayer but did they really believe what they said? People who really believe it have works to show it. What do we call that work? Water baptism. That's why on the day of Pentecost, he preached, and they immediately started baptizing. 
What did the Ethiopian eunuch say when Philip told him the gospel? What prevents me from being water baptized? Here's water. What prevents me? I want to now. I want to now. He had faith and he wanted to do it now. There was an urgency for him. Didn't save him, but it was a reflection of his faith in Christ. Okay? So now we have Christian baptism that we still celebrate today. Every Christian should be water baptized if they truly have faith. I was water baptized as a child. I do not believe I was born at that time, even though I had said a prayer, because I truly had no faith in the Lord whatsoever. But when me and Jesus met and we had a conversation and I humbled myself greatly, I was born again in that moment when I put faith in him. I've shared the story before. And there was an urgency in my heart that I needed to get rebaptized. Because the first one, I was not a believer. I did it because my mom wanted me to do it. And we went to a Baptist church. <laughs> and how do you become a member of a Baptist church? Baptist. You get baptized. Spoken like a good little Baptist girl. <laughs> So I got rebaptized because it was about me and the Father's relationship. It was what I believed I needed to do. But then he got me to Acts chapter 2, and I kept reading and reading and reading and found out that the Spirit was with me. I got born again, so the Spirit came in me, in me, as the Spirit of Christ. But the Spirit was going to come upon me. And I think... More than anything, that's where this little thing will help you because it pulls a lot of Old Testament scriptures to show you that all through the Old Testament it was promised. You know that there will be a day that Israel will be born again in a moment at the end of the tribulation. And in that moment, they will not only be born again, but God will pour out his Holy Spirit. It's called the latter rain, and it will fall upon all of Israel. And it promises that all of Israel will be saved in a day. Those are all in there. The Spirit would come upon so you don't have to have it. It's not going to make you a more favorite child if you don't have it or if you do have it. Ain't going to make you skinnier. Nope, ain't going to make you skinnier. Ain't going to make you fatter. But you might get to heaven quicker. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, there's a vast difference of living as a Christian without it and living with it. Amen. And I'd always like to be able to have it than not. Amen. Tell you that. Okay. So this scripture that talks about the, the key to that chart that I passed out to you guys is always this. It's right down the, the left-hand side of that chart. If you're talking about baptism and you want to know what they're talking about, ask what's the purpose of the baptism? Who's doing the baptizing? Who's being baptized? What are they being baptized in? Who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Jesus Christ baptizes us. He said, I'll receive the promise of the Father and I'll pour it out upon you. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. When he comes, John said he would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And on the day of Pentecost, he started pouring out and he said it would come on all flesh and he never stopped pouring it out. But who baptizes you into Christ? The Holy Spirit. And he does it at the moment of the new birth when you put faith in Jesus Christ and you have nothing to do with it other than you put faith in Christ. And it's all a sovereign work of God and it makes you a part of him and him a part of you. So the difference in these two scriptures is one, you're being baptized in the Holy Ghost for power. The other one, you're being baptized into Christ for union, for relationship. And the one, Jesus is baptizing 
And then the other, the Holy Ghost is baptizing. Make sense? Okay, can we get to what we actually came here for tonight? <laughs> Any questions before I go on? Does that make sense, Lydia? Does that help you? I think I was, I was raised up in the Nazarene church, so I'm just really confused by when we got saved, we, were, we got saved, yep. and then they would preach about going down and getting, they didn't preach about fire, Holy Spirit, and fire, and tongues, or anything uh -huh. like that. They preached about being, having, being going to have Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. They never went of terminology because of their tradition every denomination every denomination I've got a book called 2,000 years of charismatic Christianity you're welcome to borrow it's actually a textbook at ORU and every denomination started with a belief in what I'm teaching you tonight as time passed and other people came into control they manipulated how do you explain to your followers when the first guy who started ministering in the movement was moving in the power and you ain't. But you're in charge now. How do you explain it? You change the doctrine. And that's what happened. And that's what's happened. That passed away. That passed away. Or, no, he really meant this. Or, it's not for everybody. It's not for everyone, just for some people. Just like God doesn't heal everyone, just some folks. And isn't it funny? The people that He's decided not to heal—they're the ones that never get healed. <laughs> For a lack of knowledge. That's right. That's right. God told me one day, you know what? You might as well just try it and see if it works. You know, worse off. I decided He was right. <laughs> All right. So let's go back over to Romans chapter seven. Hey, I got 15 minutes. Who has faith that I can finish this? <laughs> well, we're, we're going to just dive right in, and I'm going to trust that you listened to last week if you weren't here, and if you weren't, well, that's your bad, not mine. Verse 14 of chapter 7, remember what scripture we started with? What is our foundation scripture for this teaching? Romans 8. You want to remember uh oh, my marker's leaving me. I can't teach without a marker, y'all. Can I get a new one? <laughs> Scott knows that. You gotta get me a new one. I bet someone left the lid off on purpose. <laughs> I won't do it no more. <laughs> Romans 810. Anyone remember what it says? Christ be in you. But if Christ lives in you. But if Christ be in you. Body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And what is he saying? As a believer, you are both an old and a new creation. Right? What part of me is new? The spirit. The spirit. What part of me is old? Your body and soul. My body and soul, or we might call that flesh. Right? And all those things are going to be redeemed, but they're in process. 
We're waiting for Jesus to return to make sure that that all is going to happen. Right? And here Paul in Romans 7 is trying to explain to us how do you live victoriously as an old and new creation. Now Paul says you are a new creation, and he doesn't say you're old and new. Why? Because he refers to you as your spirit. That's who you really are. Well, amen. I believe that. Amen. Because you are a spirit. God is a spirit. That's right. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a... Body. body. That's right. So the part of you that makes you you is just like God. The Spirit. Right? The Spirit. So here in verse 14, Paul's talking about all this. And he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He says, There's still a part of me that's carnal. What does carnal mean? It literally means the meat. If someone is carnally minded, what are they? Meathead. They're a meathead. Yes. They're a meathead. It literally means natural and meat. Just natural and meat. That's right. Not all sin, or all sin is carnal, but not all carnal things are sin. Is it sin for you to go to work? No. Is it no. sin? <laughs> a man that don't work, don't eat. Don't eat. Trust me, that's true in my house. <laughs> so is it a sin to go to work? No. no. Is it a sin to let your work be an idol? Yes. yes. But I thought it wasn't sin to go to work. No. Now you understand. Got it? So he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal sold under sin. So he's saying the, the law was spiritual, was a perfect standard, a perfect picture of who God was, but in my flesh that's not who I am. In my spirit it is. But in this old part of me, it's not. And I'm still carrying around a corpse. Do you understand that that's what Paul's saying? You are carrying around a corpse. Right? Mm -hmm. In England, back in the 17 and 1800s, if you killed someone, what did they do? Tied them on your back. Do what? Tied them on their back. Tied them onto your back. And you dragged You were never allowed to let go. They roped you up. And you slept with them, you walked with them, you drove that corpse everywhere. Why? Teach them a lesson. What would happen over time? The death in that body would eventually be the death that latched onto them. And they would die from the same death that they killed that person from. And nobody else killed them. They killed themselves. Paul is saying, you're carrying around a corpse. You're dead in Christ, and you got to know how to deal with that corpse. Because if you don't, if you live over here, that death in that corpse is going to come on you. It's going to dominate you. You have a choice. This can dominate you, or this can dominate you. You can be either controlled by the flesh, or you can be controlled by the spirit. What's another term for that? Walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is where most charismatics don't have a clue of what they're talking about. Not a clue. Not a clue. Baptist has got this one right. <laughs> this one is about the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit of Christ in you. 
What is the Spirit of Christ in you for? Now, he comes upon us for what? Let's walk through this. He was with you for what? Salvation. To draw you. Jesus says, nobody comes to me except for the Father draw him, and he does it by the Spirit. So Jesus says, the Spirit of God has been with you, and he's going to be in you, and then he's going to be upon you. Why does he come upon you? For power. To anoint. To endue with power from on high. He anoints you. I heard it. <laughs> so why does he come in you? To draw closer to him. No. To make you a new creation. So new creation. New birth. So why does he come in you? Walking well in you. Fellowship. Okay. How do you grow in God? How do you grow in God? If I was looking at you, how would I know? Sarah said something to me the other day. We were talking about a situation in my past, and we were talking about a, a possible situation in the future, and she says, Matt, you've grown in God a lot since then, and I don't think you would have that same struggle. How does she know that? Well, beyond the fact that she does sleep in my house. I, I mean, you know, I sleep in hers, and she sleeps in mine, and trust me, we understand that. How does she know there's been growth? Who said it? Abide in me, and I'll abide in you, for without me you can do nothing. Hereby is my Father glorified if you bear much fruit. What is fruit? Evidence? Okay. Can be witnessing? What else? Teaching? Could be. What? Yes, we're getting there. Which is what? Whose new nature is it? Jesus said, an evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. And a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. Therefore, make sure your fruit is good and not evil. Right? What was he talking about? You're all getting at the same thing, but not quite right there. Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, I'm fearful of you, lest I preach to you in vain, but I'll continue to pray for you, and I'll travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. Listen to what Paul says here. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. What's that mean? I'm doing something that I don't want to do. And then he says, for what I would, what I want to do, that's what I'm not doing. But what I hate, that's what I'm doing. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law. Yeah, it's good. Now then it is no more I that do it. Who's the I? The spirit, the new man, it's no more I doing it, 
but sin that dwells in me. Where is this sin dwelling? So there is something over here that's still dwelling there called sin. Is it a verb or a noun? So is it something that you do or something that is? Nouns are what? Person, place, or thing. Is there sin over here in the new part? No. Was there ever? No. There wasn't? Yes. 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 Someone take their Bible, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I've quoted it a lot, now it's time to look it up. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Whoa, 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 what did you just say? He made him to be sin. He made him to be sin. Did he take my sin or did he become? He became my sin. Okay. Read the rest. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he became what I was so that I could become what he was. Adam, in the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Did he drop dead? No. What do you mean he died spiritually? What? I didn't see anything change. He separated from the fellowship of the Father. He had a separation from God. What is true spiritual death? Is it to cease to exist? No. It is a separation from the source of life, which is God. And you will hear people fight you and fight you, tell you this is heresy, that God can't die. I can't explain it. But do I know that it happened? Mark, how do we know it happened? Prove it to me by Scripture. How do we know? Where does it say it? Come on, Mark, you know this one. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened in that moment? Separation. He was separated from the Father. Why did the Father forsake him? Because he is holy and he cannot look upon sin. And in that moment he became what we were, that we might become what he was. So before salvation, this old man here was called Sin. And after salvation, it's called those who are joined unto the Lord, they are one spirit. What spirit? The spirit of Christ. Okay? So hold your place here, because we will come back. Galatians 5.17. I heard a sigh. Someone getting bored? I can stop. <laughs> it must be good. Sarah said she's going to fall asleep. She ain't asleep yet. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. We're talking about the spirit versus the flesh. This is Paul's companion scripture right over here in Galatians. talking about the same exact thing. And listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, 
This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Oh, oh, listen to this. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. That you would. What did Paul say? What I want to do, I'm not doing. But what I don't want to do, I'm doing. So what was he walking in? The flesh. The flesh. But he says the key to it is what? Walk in the Spirit. And you won't walk in the flesh. <coughs> well, how do I do that? You flip over to Romans 7. Matt just gets to the point and shuts up. That peanut gallery over just up. Okay, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So over here, is there anything good? No. Is there anything like God? No. Is there any power over there? No. What's over there? Flesh. Stinking thinking. Stink. And? Death. Death. What did Romans 8.10 say? You want to remember? The body is what? dead, but the spirit is what? Because of Christ and his righteousness. Right? <coughs> You're dragging around a dead body. And either you affect it or it'll affect you. That's what he's telling you. you got a choice. So he says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, that which is good I find not. He says, I want to. What is the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever? Their want to has changed. I want to live for the Lord. I want to serve God. I want to know Him. I want to. I want to. I want to. What does the sinner say? I want to go get drunk. I want to go sleep with her. I want to go sleep with him. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. Right? They want to do as much corruption as they can. They want, want, want. What do we call that? Selfish. Desire, which is another word for lust. The flesh does what against the spirit? Lust. Lust. It desires. What do you see in unsafe people? A lust. Do you, can you ever fulfill that lust if you start giving into it? No. But the believer has a want to, has a desire, has a lust to serve God. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, what is the promise? You'll be, be filled. Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, if you eat the bread that I give, you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. Never. Never. And the woman at the well in John 4 said, Verily give me this water forever that I may never thirst again. It was the answer to all of her problems. <coughs> and Jesus is saying, this is the answer to all of our problems. This is why people live in failure as a Christian. 
So he says, For the good that I would do, verse 19, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So here he's saying, now don't, don't get this idea that you can say, the devil made me do it. Because you'll still be the one doing it. <laughs> it still be the sin in you, and you can still control it. But Paul is acknowledging that there's something going on. One thing is not like the other. If I'm a believer, why do I still have these desires? <coughs> if I am a believer, why do I still want to sometimes do those things that are wrong? Why? Because I'm dragging around a corpse. But this corpse is a little different. It's not just a dead body, but it's also ideas from that old man. It had a mind, right? It's the thought life. It's pictures that you looked at when you shouldn't have looked. Movies that you watched that you shouldn't have watched. Things that you fantasized about that you shouldn't have fantasized. Things that you've said. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are those strongholds? In the old part of us, and they are vain imaginations. They are everything that exalts itself against the Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. Vain imagination. Do you know what the word imagination literally means? Conception. Conception. You don't want to see something in your life? Don't imagine it. Start fantasizing about it. Remember what I told you about? Your life today is a result of what you've been thinking about days before, months before. You want to see a miracle in your life? You know how you start... You plant the seed in your heart and your mind and you start imagining it. You start seeing it on the inside. And when you can see it on the inside, you'll see it on the outside. You are conceiving in your spirit. And John or James tells us that sin comes first from a desire in us. A desire in us. And then when sin is conceived, Nobody just fell into sin. All sin is willful. I don't care what they tell you. It's what part of you are you going to allow to control you. That's what it comes down to. And this isn't a divided kingdom. You don't have two different natures. The part of you that is you is like God. And it's much more powerful. And a matter of fact, this is what Paul is trying to tell you. We're going to finish this out. I am over, but you gave me more time last time, so it's your own fault. So <laughs> Paul is telling you, that you don't have to win against this flesh. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Only the Lord can wrestle that flesh and bring it under control. But you have to allow him to do it. And this is what he's going to talk about tonight. He says in verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. What is a law? What is a law? Wear your seatbelt. Huh? Wear your seatbelt. It's not a law. Okay. You're right. Brother, you got all the answers. I need to let you come up here. <laughs> what version what, what is that? That's the nearly inspired version. That's the NIV. A law is always what? A rule. It's always a rule. It's always true. 
You never change, right? The law is a law is a law, right? Okay. So he says, I find a law here in verse 21 that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Understand this is a law. There is a good part of you and there is a dead part of you. Okay? And there is a will to do it, but there is also a desire, a driving force trying to compel you against it. That is always true for every believer. It's a law. It won't change until Jesus comes back and he changes it all to new. When you get a glorified body. And he says this, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now what law is he talking about now? The law of God. The will of God. I always delight to do God's will. Always. He says, this part that is new, this part that is you, forever settle it. I want everyone to forever settle in this room. You always want to do God's will. Every time. I don't care what desire, I don't care what feeling you get. You always want to do God's will. Always. You know why? Because God said you do. God says you do. You always want to do his will. Matter of fact, you delight in it. But it's after, after what? It's after the inward man. After the inward man. So we have spirit, soul, and body, but we also have the outer man. We have the inner man. Right? That inner man, who I really am, God is a spirit, I am a spirit. He says, in my inner man, I always want to do the will of God. If I'm walking in the spirit, what do I always want to do? Will of God. I always want to do good. For it is God in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Right? Verse 23. But I see another law in my members. So he says there's two laws now, right? We have two laws. Correct? Am I right? There is a law in the spirit, and there is a law in his members. Two laws. And the first law in the spirit delights to do God's will. It wants to do God's will. It is God. Those who are joined unto the Lord, they are one spirit doesn't mean that you are God. It means that you are connected with God. You are co-heirs with him. You are one with him. Right? And everything that makes him him, he is sharing with you. He became sin that you would become his righteousness. Right? So there's a law in your spirit, and it's pushing you towards God. But there is a law in your members that is trying to pull you away from God. <clears throat> and a matter of fact, he says, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring. Hear that term? Warring against the law of my mind. Oh, so, I have any more bored. So, <laughs> there is a law in the spirit, there is a law in the members, right? But that law in the spirit is also called a law in his 
Mind, why? Because do you not know that you have the mind of Christ? Where's that mind? In the inner man? Where is Christ? In your spirit? In your spirit? In him is all the riches and treasures, <coughs> knowledge and wisdom of God. That's what Colossians tells us, right? So there is a law, and these two are warring. Literally uses that word, warring. Do you want to know what spiritual warfare is now? Welcome, you just met it. It is a war of laws. A war of truth. One in the spirit, in the mind, one in the members. Do you know why you are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? That you may show forth what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God? Because you delight to do the will of God in your inner man, and you'll be transformed if you aren't conformed through the renewing of your mind by walking in the new mind, by thinking like God thinks. It releases a law that is in you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And that the kingdom of God was righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. What happens when I start thinking God's thoughts after him? I release the ministry of the Holy Spirit through me. And he starts taking those things that are not like Jesus Christ and subduing them so that Christ can be formed in me. Though I might have a part of me that disagrees with the new part of me, it will not rule in me. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What is grace? It's an empowerment. It is God enabling you to do what you could not do for yourself. So I'm not sitting here as a Christian saying, I'm no longer going to say that. I'm no longer going to watch that. I'm not, because inside you're going, oh, but I really want to say He said, what? Well, you know exactly what I, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You know what? You can subdue your behavior on the outside and still have it all going on in the inside, and you've already broke the law of God. Because God is not a man, and he doesn't look at us like men does. He looks at the heart. And Jesus said, you say, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say, if you've even looked at a woman and lusted after her, you've already done it. How great would it be? Would you call victory just stopping to do something or no longer wanting to do it? No longer wanting to. And it's not just a possibility, it's a reality. Do you think Jesus walked around and said, oh, I really want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. He wanted to do righteousness. He wanted to fulfill the will of the Father. He wanted to do the Father's business. Why? Because the Spirit was free in his life to do what it needed to do. Do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see what I'm saying? The Spirit of God can bring us to a place where he has wrestled those lusts 
and have them under control. Got it? Do we get it? And he says, and bring me into captivity into the law of sin, which is in my members. So he says, there's a law of my members warring against the law of my mind. And the point of it is that this law in my members is really the law of sin. So this sin that's left in my members, it's a law of sin. A matter of fact, Paul's going to call it in Romans 8, 2, what? A law of sin and... Death. Why? Because in Christ, the body is dead, but the spirit is alive due to righteousness. See what I'm saying? Romans 7 isn't hard to understand, is it? It's easy to understand if you understand. <laughs> so he says there's two laws. They're warring against each other. And the law of my members, which is the law of sin, wants to bring me into captivity. It wants to make me obey it. It wants to bring me under its control. What does it take to come under control of the law of sin and death? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because two parts of you is already geared towards it. <coughs> Quit reading your Bible. Quit praying. Quit going. Quit doing anything that exposes you to God. Anything at all. And you'll find every ounce of your spiritual life weakened. It'll be like you're not even saved. Are you still? Yes. Yes. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes. Will you experience everything that the sinner experiences? You better believe you will. Because if you fail to mortify the flesh by the Spirit... You will surely die. You're releasing a law of sin and death. So think about these people who are believers, who are Christians, but don't believe in healing, don't believe in the miraculous power of God, who are negative, who criticize, who just let the flesh do what it wants to do. And then, boom, I've got cancer and I've got six months to live. I am not surprised for you. <laughs> you have released a law. A law that is always true. The world even believes in thinking on things and then coming to pass. The world even understands that concept. Absolutely. <laughs> a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you release death out of your mouth, what is what do we know from Proverbs? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it will eat the fruit thereof. When people release that law, they are releasing death into their life. They're releasing it. They're opening a door to sickness, poverty, disease, everything that comes from death. Everything. John G. Lake was famous for this. is a famous story of his. You can probably read any book about him. He was a famous evangelist that went over to Africa, and he was a healing minister, healing evangelist. He actually got a medical degree from the state of Washington because he healed so many people that they put him in jail for practicing medicine without a license. And when he proved it was through prayer, they had to release him and they gave him a medical license. And to this day, there are healing rooms in Spokane, Washington, you can go to, where they teach you what John G. Lake taught about healing. And they see people get healed all the time. And it was during the time of the Black Death, the bubonic plague in Africa, and he's with some other doctors, and 
they make the comment, boy, I'm sure glad we have a vaccine against this, otherwise we would be dead too. They're picking up these dead bodies, they're frothing at the mouth, the froth is full of disease and viruses and bacteria and all this deadly stuff. And John turns around and he says to the doctor, what vaccine? And the doctor says, you mean you weren't vaccinated? You're gonna die. He says, I'm not gonna die. What do you mean you're not gonna die? I'm not gonna die because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he says, we don't believe you. And he says, take some of that froth off that dead man's mouth and put it on my hand under a microscope. And they looked at it before they put it on his hand and it was alive and bubbling and doing its thing. And they put it on his hand and instantly it died. He says, I told you, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is much more powerful than the law of sin and death. Christ reigned in him. And that's true of us today. What law will you submit to? What power will you release? What are you going to allow God to do? I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose ye this day. Choose life. Amen? Amen. We're going to finish next week. <laughs> I say that by faith. We get a little bit farther every week. I'm telling you, I was counting the other day. I was like, I think that's like six messages. <laughs> that's a series. Next week is 4th of July, so we won't be meeting, but we will be back the next one. Okay? All right. Shonda, you want to close in prayer tonight? Oh, thank you.